0: Recently, while I was hosting one of my online parenting workshops, the topic of disappointment came up. How do you handle it when you witness your child experiencing disappointment? Perhaps disappointment over the food set in front of him? Being disappointed in a store when she can't get the item she wants? Being disappointed over a broken toy, lost possession, or forgetting something? being disappointed over a birthday or Christmas present. How do you respond to your child's disappointment? Is it a trigger for you? If so, are you looking for ideas on how to stay calm during your child's emotional upset? In this podcast, I'm going to share greater insight into what is really going on when you're frustrated with your child's disappointment. In addition, I'll be sharing effective strategies that will help you perceive and manage first your own emotions to witnessing disappointment, and then how to support your child when he or she is experiencing disappointment. My name is Jill McPherson. I'm a teacher, parenting consultant, and a mother of four. I want to begin this podcast by sharing a bit more about how this topic came up during one of my online parenting workshops. My number one goal is to share with parents specific information and skills that will assist them in better managing challenging parenting situations, as well as strategies that will prevent many of their parenting challenges. I want to emphasize that the goal in the workshops is not about how to fix or change the child. The goal is focusing on where the true power for change exists, within ourselves. My goal is to empower parents with knowledge and skills in order to make positive changes within themselves and in turn, their family life. I refer to these skills as tools for their parenting toolbox. Parenting is like any other job or profession. If you want to get better at it, then you're going to need to build your knowledge and skills. Most of the time, parents are in what I would call the performance zone. That is, we are just doing or perhaps surviving parenting day to day. However, in order to improve at parenting, then we have to, at least from time to time, shift ourselves into the learning zone. If we don't, chances are the things that challenge us as parents will not go away. In fact, they may often worsen as both you and your child become tired and frustrated trying to survive the same challenges over and over again. I was recently watching a TED talk entitled, How to Get Better at the Things You Care About. The speaker talked about the performance versus the learning zones. He gave the example of typing. Many people know how to type and will continue to type at the same speed unless they make a conscious effort to improve their typing skills. Otherwise, their typing speed will not change even if they type for years and years. Our parenting skills are much the same. In my workshop, I often give the example of a flat tire. If you have a flat tire, there are certain tools you're going to need. If your toolbox has a screwdriver, a hammer and pliers, even though these are handy and frequently required tools, no matter how hard you try, you're not going to be able to change the flat tire with these helpful yet limited tools. If we have limited tools in our parenting toolbox, no matter how hard we try, Things will not improve much until we decide to add to our supply of tools. These tools are not just about how to manage challenging situations with our children. In fact, most of the tools required for effective and peaceful parenting are about attaining the knowledge, skills and tools to manage our own thoughts, emotions and behaviors. When we find ourselves stressed over a triggering event, like eating habits, bedtime, sibling rivalry, completing chores, or challenges at school. In my workshop, when parents are dealing with a child who is expressing an unpleasant emotion, I invite them to stop and take a deep breath to first get grounded. If you are triggered by your child's unpleasant emotion, Your unpleasant emotion will impair you as a parent to deal with your child's upset effectively and compassionately. So, start by taking a deep breath. The next step is to see if you can become a witness to your child's upset. In other words, can you simply observe rather than judge? It is our judgments about our child's behavior that is the greatest cause of our suffering. Judgments like, he should be grateful for the meal I made. He is spoiled. They shouldn't fight. She needs to do better in school or she won't get a decent job. He needs to get to sleep or he'll be grumpy tomorrow. She shouldn't be dating that guy. What will they think of me as a parent when they see my child acting this way? There are endless painful beliefs that rattle around in our minds when it comes to parenting. It is these thoughts that trigger us into painful emotions, resulting in us being very frustrated with our child's behavior. Until we stop and witness our own thinking and question our beliefs, we will continually be victims to our child's behavior and unpleasant emotions. It is our judgments painful thoughts and fears that keep us up at night far more than the reality our children are experiencing. Shifting from judgment to observing is not easy. In fact, Indian philosopher Jiddu Krishnamurti stated that observing without evaluation is the highest form of human intelligence. It takes a huge amount of mental discipline and a high degree of consciousness to observe without judgment, because judging is what our minds do naturally. In fact, to a certain degree, we need our judgment mind for survival. Does this person feel safe enough to leave my child with? Is it okay to drive in this weather? Is this ice thick enough to skate on? Do I need more sunscreen? Have I packed enough food? yes we are constantly judging our environment and circumstances to ensure safety and survival however most of the time we are judging a situation from our very narrow and limited perspective the judgments we have about our child's behavior tend to be far more painful than the situation so that is why when parents are triggered by their child's emotions and behavior I invite them to attempt the next step after the deep breath. I call this next step, taking their sunglasses off. The idea is we want to witness our child's upset rather than judge our child's upset. When we are in a state of witnessing, we can now respond in our child's and our best interest. We can truly hear them and better understand what is really going on for them We are now capable of responding in far more effective ways, like simply listening and holding space in order to allow our children to experience and learn how to manage their own emotions and reactions to their own triggering events. The more you practice this act of compassion, the more you will come to realize that our children fighting, not cleaning their room, or not doing their chores, Is actually not the cause of our upset, but a trigger. In my parenting workshops, I often quote a line from a famous book called A Course in Miracles. In it, there is a line that says, I am never upset for the reason I think. So, if I'm not upset about my child for not cleaning her room, what am I upset about? What is really going on here? Part of the job of taking off our sunglasses is to become aware of what is in our lenses through which we perceive and judge our world. For example, were you allowed to be upset when you were a child? What happened when you cried? Were you listened to when you were crying or was crying discouraged or frowned upon? Were you told something like, if you don't stop crying, I'll give you something to cry about? Did you feel guilty for being upset after hearing from an adult say something like, don't be upset, it could be worse. Many kids have it worse than you. Or was your upset minimized by an adult saying something like, you don't have a problem, you're just a kid. I'll let you know when you have a real problem. Perhaps you are not allowed to feel upset or disappointment. Many adults have told me that they're upset was only permissible for extreme events, like hospitalizations or the death of a loved one. For many reasons, our culture is still holding on to an ideal that children are supposed to be happy, happy, happy all the time. As adults, we never are, but for children, it seems to be different. Somehow, they're supposed to be able to do what we cannot do, and if they don't stay happy, now we are upset. How dare they be upset! That is very upsetting for us! What are your judgments about disappointed or crying children? What are your judgments about parents who have a crying child, particularly one that won't stop crying in a less than ideal place, like during a church service, on an airplane, or in a restaurant? Most of our greatest challenges as a parent are not due to the events we struggle with, but our fear of judgment by others like our parents, our neighbors, friends, our child's teachers, and even strangers. What will they think of me as a parent? Just think of how different parenting would be, how less stressful it would be, if we knew no one would judge us as parents. I offer the analogy of the sunglasses to give parents a visual of how our previous life experiences, beliefs, and judgments of ourselves and others darken our vision, impairing our ability to truly see our child and their situation clearly. Now, back to our child expressing disappointment. Notice how you often react when they are crying and disappointed. Now, let's interrupt that reaction with a deep breath, becoming a witness to his upset. How do you do that? By taking off your sunglasses filled with your childhood experiences, your beliefs and judgments, and just be with your child. Now, what do you see? Now, can you witness your child with sincere curiosity? Can you ask yourself something like, "Hmm, I wonder what is truly going on for my child right now? Once you experience these steps, you are now capable of responding with love and compassion rather than reacting with anger and impatience. In my parenting workshops, I have a time called Let's Try It. So, let's try this. I want you to imagine a situation that occurred in the past when your child was disappointed or upset about something. The first story that pops into your head will do. Now, visualize as many details as you can. Where are you? Who else is there? What is your child wearing? Can you remember other details like temperature or smells? Now, can you remember what you were thinking just prior to you becoming frustrated with your child? What were you thinking just before you yelled, just before you threatened her to stop or else? before you tapped him on the bottom or before you gave in and offered your child what she wanted in an angry and defeated manner. Now go back in your mind to that situation and take a deep breath. Take several if you need to. Now, can you take your sunglasses off? Can you step away from your experiences, beliefs and judgments and just observe your child in that situation? Can you calmly witness them in a state of curiosity? Imagine you are an outsider to the story. Can you imagine being someone who has just come upon this story? Can you be in the story but not of it? Hmm, now, what is really going on here for your child? When we witness through the eyes of compassion, when we take the sunglasses off, We now see our child in a whole new way. We don't have to try to be calm. We don't have to try to be more patient. The calm and the patience simply rises up within us when we remove the barriers to peace. Now, instead of reacting with anger and impatience, we are able to respond with love and compassion. The next step I invite parents to do is to remember the golden rule. How would you like someone to respond to you when you are in the depths of disappointment? If you forgot an important item at work, how would you want your spouse to respond? With a comment like, well, you need to get more organized. You need to stop and think before you leave work. I can't do this for you. Or would you rather hear, hmm, sounds frustrating need any help? Or have you got it figured out? If you didn't get the promotion at work, do you want to hear, well, next time you'll have to try harder? Or, I hear you really wanted that job. I'm sorry you didn't get it. If a friend's weekend with no kids is suddenly cancelled, do you want to hear, don't be ridiculous. It's not a big deal. There'll be other weekends. You can still do something fun with us at home. Or, Ah, gee, that sounds really disappointing. It is so unfortunate that so many of us frequently fall into the trap of believing it is okay to speak to children in a way we would never want to be spoken to. I continually remind myself if I would not want it done or said to me, then I have no business doing or saying it to my child or any other child for that matter. Of course, When I don't take the time to stop and breathe, I too witness myself speaking in a way to a child I would not want to be spoken to. What specific strategies might you use when you are in a calm state of compassion? To be honest, my experience is when we offer our children empathy like, I hear you really don't want to eat those vegetables, and I hear you are disappointed we don't have chicken fingers tonight. Yeah, I know. I find it tough, too, when dinner is not what I hoped it would be. When children feel validated and heard, it gives them permission to feel what they are feeling. In addition, when we witness and acknowledge what they are experiencing and what we hear them saying, then often there is nothing more to do. When we recognize their emotions, it helps them to witness their own emotions. They build greater self-awareness. Oh, so this is anger. This is what sadness feels like. Oh, this is disappointment. Instead of trying to rid them of their unpleasant emotions by reacting with, oh, here, you can have it, just stop crying, or dismissing their emotions, don't be silly, it's not a big deal. We are not giving them the gift of identifying and practicing how to manage their own feelings. The more they get to practice managing their feelings, the more effective they will be at handling challenging situations in the future. My experience has been once a child's emotions have been acknowledged, the unpleasant feeling begins to pass. You may witness your child suddenly sigh, yawn, and almost trip over his own breath as his breathing returns to normal. Once you have given your child the gift to work through her emotions and become grounded, you will be amazed how capable she now is in dealing with the upsetting situation. You will see his brain churning as he contemplates things like What will I do now with this broken toy? How will I clean up this spilled food? What will I do without my forgotten blankie? What will I do now that I can't go to the party? as your child returns to a more calm state, it is such a gift to invite her to come up with a solution to the triggering event. For example, instead of getting angry about a fussy eater, you could ask, it sounds like you don't like what we're having for dinner. What would you suggest? Your child's suggestion still needs to be okay with you. Don't compromise values and boundaries to keep him happy. If you do, You will only build up resentment towards your child around mealtime challenges. If the suggested solution is make me chicken fingers or make me another meal and you are not okay with it, then tell her. You might say something like, thank you for your suggestion. However, I already made a meal tonight and I'm not making another one. What else would you suggest? This could put your child back into tears and disappointment especially if in the past, you have made another meal when she cries. Stay grounded. What a gift you give your child when you role model boundaries. I am willing to do this, but not that. Learning how to hear and accept someone else's no is such an important life skill to have in relationships. And then learning to come up with counter offers like, how about I get a piece of bread myself or can I eat the leftovers from lunch? I have been amazed at the creative problem solving my children demonstrated when I backed off and allowed them to try to find their own solutions to their problems. I must admit, over the years, they suggested ideas I would never have thought of on my own. I am not suggesting here that a parent could not turn and make another meal. As a parenting consultant, It is not my job to tell parents which strategies are right for them. This is not about deciding what is right or wrong. My suggestion is, once you are grounded and in a state of love and compassion, now ask yourself, am I okay with making another meal? Perhaps you would love to do that. Great, then do that. Perhaps you could invite your child to participate. If, however, you are angry about it, your anger will build up into resentment over time, and you risk inflicting stress on yourself and your child around mealtimes and food. Since Christmas is upon us, let's use Christmas gifts as a trigger for disappointment. As an adult, have you ever opened a gift and felt disappointment? Likely. This happens to children, too. When you were disappointed with a gift from your partner, mother-in-law, friend, did that make you rude, spoiled, or ungrateful? No, not at all. Yet how often do we get upset with children for not liking a gift and then perhaps labeling them rude, spoiled, or ungrateful? Your reactions and feelings are happening for a reason. This is true for their feelings as well. So, this Christmas, let's imagine your child opens a gift and has the look of disappointment on her face. And now, you feel triggered. Take a deep breath. Get grounded. If you are upset, that is because this event is triggering something in you. What is it? Feeling guilty for not being able to afford what you really wanted to get your child? Or do you believe you are a bad mother if you don't know what your children truly wanted? Does seeing a look of disappointment bring you back to a childhood event? Or parental reactions to your disappointment when you were little? Now, can you take enough deep breaths and get grounded so you can just witness your child feeling his feelings without judgment? Can you watch her like you're watching a character in a movie? Now with love and compassion, get curious. What's going on for her right now? Remember the golden rule? Remember a time you opened a gift with feelings of disappointment? How would you have wanted a loved one to respond? If possible, I invite parents to take it one step further. Can you imagine knowing your child's personality, how he would want support in this moment? I know when my children were upset, especially if there was others around, like at an extended family Christmas, they never wanted me to talk about it in the moment because they did not want to cry or get upset in front of others. So I would always wait for a private moment to check in to see how they were doing. If I was the one who gave them the gift they appeared to be upset over, then I would need a buffer of time before I could approach them anyway or else I could easily be triggered and risk reacting with hurt emotions. Before going to a Christmas family gathering, I would often make a point of discussing with my children when they were small what to do if you open a gift and you don't like it or it isn't your size or you already have one or it's too babyish for them. We would think of several reasons we might feel disappointment. Then we would discuss and even role play what to do if the gift was disappointing. We would think of things to say and then brainstorm ideas on what to do. Trade it with a cousin? Ask for the receipt to exchange it? Give it to someone you know who'll like it? If I liked the gift, then I might offer to buy it from them. My goal was to assure them there was a solution to every problem. So just breathe through their disappointment. So eventually they can clear their minds enough to come up with a plan. Sometimes just letting them sit with their disappointment and a bit of time resulted in them realizing the gift was actually kind of cool after all. If your family does gatherings and gift exchanges with extended family, then I would suggest this dose of prevention will serve everyone well. Disappointment is inevitable in life, or at least that has been my experience. Because of that, I wanted to make sure my children had practiced managing their disappointment over what I would call the little day to day things so they could become more resilient for the bigger, more painful disappointments that eventually show up. For example, When we went shopping and they would ask for a treat, I would sometimes say no, because I wanted them to practice hearing a no, not getting what they wanted, and then working through the disappointment of that. I remember saying no to my youngest daughter, Grace, when she asked for a treat one time when we were grocery shopping. She was likely around four or five at the time. I often think of parenting expert Barbara Coloroso's three alternatives to saying no. The first is, yes, later. The second one is, give me a minute. And the third one is, convince me. I must admit, I use the last one a lot with my kids. Rather than me exhausting myself explaining why I'm saying no to Fruit Loops, how about you exhaust yourself in coming up with good reasons why I should buy it? I remember inviting her to come up with reasons on why I should buy the treat, but on this day, there was no convincing me. When she realized I was not going to buy the treat, she got very upset. I remember saying over and over in a quiet voice, I know you really want it. Yes, you really want that treat. I hear you saying you will be good and my answer is no. I quietly kept acknowledging her disappointment. I assured her that I knew how painful it is not getting what you want and how disappointing that can be. I calmly validated her pain and then reminded her that crying and screaming is not a good strategy to get me to change my mind. Unfortunately, Grace was not calming down. I got the shopping done as quickly as I could and got her out to the vehicle. As I buckled her into the car seat, she was now screaming and kicking, demanding that we go back into the store and get it. Now I was feeling my anxiety heightened as my thoughts went to worrying about what people in the parking lot might be thinking of me with this screaming child. With my fearful thoughts in my head, I started to get impatient, telling Grace people might think I'm kidnapping her, so stop kicking and screaming right now. It was taking a lot of deep breaths, and mental awareness to stay grounded and not get pulled in by her emotions. During the entire drive home, she screamed she wanted the treat, trying to kick my seat and choking over her own tears of anger. I said very little as it appeared that anything I said seemed to trigger her more. When we got home, she was starting to diffuse, but she was still begging me to drive her back to town to get the treat. I just kept unloading the vehicle, stepping over her as she cried on the floor. Eventually she stopped and left the kitchen. It was not until bedtime that evening when I was tucking her in that she apologized for being so angry and kicking and screaming. Then she told me more about what she was thinking in the store. It turns out she had such a fear that the item she wanted would get sold out and that would be her last chance to ever get that treat. I offered her empathy and thanked her for telling me what she was thinking that was creating so much fear and anger. I assured her there would be other opportunities to get that treat and thanked her for her apology. I told her some of my angry and fearful thoughts to explain why I was losing my patience while buckling her into the car seat. We talked more about how to handle feelings of disappointment, and she came up with an idea of what she will say and do the next time Mommy says no. I commended her on her ideas. I shared some ideas on what I thought I could do differently next time, too as I realized that by child number four, the same strategies do not work effectively on every child. It turns out that Grace said she would feel better if I didn't talk about how she was feeling when she was upset. In her own words, she basically was asking me to say as little as possible and just let her be with her disappointment rather than trying to validate or repeat what she was saying over and over. Using the golden rule, I did my best to hear how she wanted to be supported in managing disappointment. So the next time you witnessed your child experiencing disappointment, how might you respond rather than react? I invite you to stop and remember this podcast. What were those suggestions again? Oh yeah, take some deep breaths to feel calm and grounded. Notice my thoughts. Why am I triggered by this? What is really going on for me while witnessing my child's disappointment? Now, I will try to simply witness my child rather than judge her emotions. I will open myself up to becoming lovingly curious and wonder what is going on for him. What is really underneath his upset? I will do my best to give my child the time and space as the situation permits to manage and work through her painful emotions. Once the heightened emotion has passed, I will invite my child to come up with solutions to this apparently upsetting situation. I will remember the golden rule and consider how I would want to be treated if I were in his shoes. In order to use prevention as a strategy, I might wait a few hours or a few days to bring up the topic so my child can consider other options in dealing with this situation in the future. Allowing our children to work through their emotions in order to build resiliency, problem-solving skills, and greater self-awareness is such a gift. The only way we can offer them that kind of support is by first doing the work ourselves. We must continue to take the time to shift out of our performance zone and into the learning zone, expanding our knowledge and building our skill sets. By listening to this podcast, you are clearly doing just that. I want to thank my listeners for all the positive feedback, comments, stories, and suggestions you have reached out to share with me after listening to a podcast episode. I love hearing how the podcast resonated with you. I also love the questions, so keep the questions coming. This will be the final episode of Awakened Parenting in 2020. I'm looking forward to hearing more of your suggestions for future podcasts in 2021. If you have any ideas or questions, be sure to reach out to me through my website at jillmcpherson.com or email me at jillmcphersonyes at gmail.com. In addition, be sure to check out my website for upcoming workshops starting in January, 2021. My online four-part series for parents of toddlers to young school age children will be running again, as well as a four-part series for parents of tweens and teens. I will also be running my 8-part introductory series, Suitable for All Parents, where we dive deeper into how to effectively use several parenting tools to bring more peace into your life and home. I also want to thank my community sponsors Trinity United Church in Shelburne and Primrose United Church for ensuring that these workshops are accessible to all parents who are seeking knowledge and skills. In addition, I'm grateful to you for awakening to a more loving, peaceful, and compassionate way to parent. Until then, I look forward to you joining me again for my next episode of Awakened Parenting.